For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be your dog till I die. Fly. Between the hedges, look it fly. fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fly. fly. Coach, put me in the game. Dang. UGA, yeah, the name. Dang. Yeah, the offense gonna turn up, but the defense gonna win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. Welcome in. It is another edition of a Hunker Down Monday on the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast presented by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. It's a great day, great show we have on tap for you. Joe DeLeon of the Believe in FCS football podcast, also of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects uh, podcast, uh, the one that he co-hosts with Ryan Roberts, is going to join the show to kind of talk about the implications of COVID on the FCS. We're going to talk about, kind of get some, uh, he tells some great stories about his playing days at the University of Rhode Island. So um, great show on tap. Again, you can follow our show at Believe in Dogs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, If you want to advertise, Believe.com, go there. Tell them you want to advertise on the show. Um, if you want to rate us on iTunes, feel free. I got two ratings and two reviews right now. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a great day. Um, we're going to hunker down. Mondays are for the dogs, as you know. So without further ado, we're going to welcome in Joe DeLeon of the FCS podcast. Enjoy. And go dogs. Joe DeLeon of the Believe in FCS Football Podcast joins me here on the Believe in Georgia Dogs Podcast. Joe, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Corey. Yeah, no problem. Uh, before we kind of get into uh, the meat of the show and, and kind of what's going on in the world, did you have a good 4th of July? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I, I got to spend it with with family. Um, very low-key. Not a, Not a lot of fireworks because the local town that I live in didn't do their typical display but you know still had a good time got to spend it with my extended family how about you did you have a good fourth of july i did it was uh it was pretty relaxing we uh we had a uh, couple people over and we grilled out and um played some yard games and cornhole mostly and, oh uh, that's that the way good. to go yeah, yeah. It, and it was I, I don't know about uh where you are but here in here in nashville it was scorching hot so i i sweated plenty i sweated probably a gallon <laughs> Yeah, New Jersey wasn't it wasn't too terribly bad. Um, it, it probably like seventy five, but still the the humidity's been pretty pretty bad right now. So 
definitely feel that, that that sweat that you're talking about. <laughs> oh yeah, we're in a we're in a typical uh, mid July heat wave here in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So, um, but let's get right into it. Uh, the uh, the elephant in the room, I, I guess you could say, is uh, the the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Uh, it's 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 wreaking havoc not only on people's health, but it's also wreaking havoc on sports leagues because a lot of these organizations, even at the high school level, it, even as high as the pro levels, uh, it, it's kind of throwing them for a loop, and it's it's really making uh, decisive commissioners indecisive. So uh, we've seen the domino effect. Uh, the Ivy League in college ranks was the first to to come out and say they're going to postpone till spring. Uh, the Patriot League then followed suit. I guess what a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you do? You anticipate the rest of FCS falling in line with that, or um, are they going to kind of wait and see what FBS does? So I've I've had this question asked to me a, a ton already, even though it's only been news very recently. Uh, I was asked on another podcast, but I keep getting texted by people, uh, current maybe former players. That, that play at the FCS level, and they all want to know what I think is going to happen if I know anything. For the most part, I don't really know an exact answer, but what you can see right now is, and I, I tweeted this, an, an, un, an uneasy domino effect essentially is what is coming from it. And you have the Ivy League canceling first. That was already the first step, and what that essentially created is opportunities for some of these other smaller FCS conferences that have – significant maybe not financial issues but not the financial stability to handle a full season of constant testing not having fans in the stands not profiting off of a gigantic tv contract conferences like the patriot league can't afford to do that so now that the ivy league originally first did that they could then say all right somebody else did it we can follow suit we won't look as bad being the first conference to do so and we can protect ourselves financially i i I know uh one player in the patriot league who i was talking with and he told me he was completely devastated and he didn't had no clue that that was coming i I don't think anyone expected that to come for that conference but sadly as i said on our tuesday episode of the fcs podcast in the beginning i said that a lot of these smaller conferences are going to follow so after the patriot league keep an eye out for a conference like the pioneer league or maybe uh the swack the MEAC, some of those maybe not gigantic FCS conferences, and it might end up finding its way all the way down to a conference like the Big Sky, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, or the CAA, because at the end of the day, these FCS conferences just don't have that financial stability, the the TV contracts that a conference like the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 can rely on to at least give them some type of financial gain. So how do these bigger FCS conferences, how do they get creative with the budgets? Because uh, I know they rely on their FBS counterparts to to supply a lot of their budget. What what can they do? And do you, like, with the, with the way the world is and how starved we are for sports, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility if they didn't play on Saturdays to maybe get a TV contract somewhere to kind of help them out. Do you, do you anticipate some creative stuff happening like that? Uh, th- I'm not too well... Uh, keyed in on the financial stuff with the conferences, but you, you bring up a really good point with the fact that a lot of these teams are already losing those FBS matchups. Even the best teams in the FCS, even a team like North Dakota State, they are still paid to go play um, teams like Oregon, which that game was canceled. 
And North Dakota State might not be as desperate for that money, but a lot of these smaller teams really need that pay-to-play payment to essentially fund their program. So I honestly consider that to be another contributing factor that if they can't go and play these FBS programs, that further tightens the amount of money that they have to run the season. So it's not even just having money to properly test players and keep them safe and have all those precautions. It's also just straight up being able to fund the program and schools with not, with not having students on campus. That is another added financial strain to the equation. I, I could see though, if they're going to get creative, them reaching out to any conference that has not locked themselves down and trying to set up as many games as possible with teams within their conference. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if games just randomly sprung up out of nowhere between an FCS team and maybe some of these other conferences that have not entirely locked down. So, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's all crazy and it's all up in the air. Um, I know Georgia was supposed to play East Tennessee state. I know uh, mm-hmm. Mercer was supposed to travel up to Vanderbilt. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's gotta be, you know, one of those things where maybe, you start looking at like, do you think maybe some of these schools start looking in state to maybe try to get a game, even if conferences are locked down? Do you think they could uh, work out a, a, a deal with like a in state counterpart? Yeah, wherever you can get the closest, I think is the smartest decision because then these bigger teams, if they don't want to spend that full pay to play amount of money, they don't have to pay for their flights. It's just a simple long drive. Uh, uh, you, you can solve. Yeah, right down the road to Tech. Exactly. You you could have a uh, a matchup like that because they are so close to each other. You could just travel on the day of a game if it is a longer bus drive. If you don't want to worry about dealing with hotels for those various games, that would be another step towards getting creative towards fixing the issues with the schedules that are already starting to arise. Like if the Citadel can play Georgia tech, the Kennesaw state can very well play Georgia tech too. Absolutely. And uh, so we'll see, we'll keep an eye out on it. I mean, this is, this thing's far from over um, as far as this thing's far from settled too um, as well. So we'll kind of see how it, how it unfolds and, and see if maybe these FCS conferences, if they, if they go conference only, if they can get like a, you know, kind of like what, what the Sunbelt does or the Mac does where, where they have uh, Maction Wednesdays, you know, just play on a, on an odd day of the week. Maybe you get a TV deal and maybe some of these uh, television sponsors can, can make your stadium look like a minor league baseball uh, <laughs> outfield wall and, uh, and maybe get you some money that way. So um, let's talk, uh, let's talk specifically Southern conference. Let's talk about uh, the teams that are, specifically in the state of Georgia from the Southern Conference because mm-hmm. um, I know there's some, some Georgia fans that probably graduated from these institutions and, and they have a, a sort of vested, vested interest in, say, a Mercer, who's a, who's a new kid on the block, Kennesaw State, who's a new kid on the block. Um, what, what were those two teams going to bring uh, to the table? Were they going to be uh, contenders in the playoff? Mercer, I'll start with. Last season, they didn't do so hot, four and eight, three and five. I, I consider them to be a decent program. I don't really see anything that they do that really sparks my interest in terms of being a, a contender for the Southern Conference. They're not a bad program. They're not the bottom feeder of the Southern. ETSU had the worst record last year. 
even though I wouldn't really consider them to be a consistent bottom feeder. But Mercer, decent quality program. Um, Kennesaw State, though, is the, is the much better uh, football program. They are predicated on, on running the triple option. They produced a fullback who is now on the Baltimore Ravens. They have a, a, a very good pipeline of talent at the FCS level. They compete in the Big South and do a very good job of it. They The last season, they were right there up at the top for a spot to win the Big South. They just barely missed out against Monmouth, who ended up winning it. Um, but still, nonetheless, they're always contending. They made the playoff last year. I consider them to be one of those very well-disciplined defensive teams that runs the ball extremely effectively. You know that when you play Kennesaw State, you're going to get punched in the mouth. They're going to run it right at you, and they're going to pick up a ton of yards by – uh, using you know quarterback isos or by solely focusing on that triple option working in your fullback working in your halfback all of that fun stuff that involves option-based running games absolutely and uh, you mentioned etsu what uh do they have any room for improvement have they uh were they just young what was what was their issue last year and kind of how were they going to improve this year uh, the, the thing that with, with ETSU that I was honestly surprised about, I thought that they were going to be a really good team last year, and so did Sean, who's my co-host on the FCS podcast, because they had one of the best defensive players in the country in this year player. He apparently wasn't enough for them to lead a, a strong path for last season. I thought at least at the very minimum that they would finish towards the, min- uh, the middle of the conference, but they managed to go in a, a long, tough stretch of games in their season, which caused them to finish with, with such a, a, a bad record of three and eight. And then one and seven in conference was really what knocked them out of even contending for anything. They do have a really good player that, I, that we said that we're keeping on our eye on, which is Tyree Robinson, uh, their cornerback. He is, uh, you know, one of the guys on the preseason all conference list. So he's very talented. I think just in general, it's a, it's a team that doesn't have a, a true offensive identity, and that has kind of hindered them despite having some talented defensive guys. Absolutely. Uh, so, what what is like with FCS football? Like, what what is what are the you know the top teams? What what's the kind of key to winning? Because you know you look at Kennesaw State, who's widely successful. They run the triple option. You look at North Dakota State; they're kind of a power uh, pro pro style uh, where they they cram the ball in there. Uh, they they have a strong running game. Is, is it kind of going against the grain that makes you successful in the FCS level? The biggest thing that I attribute to success in the FCS, I wouldn't say it's, it's truly scheme related. It's first of all, it's just being creative and understanding how to work with what talent you have on the field. There's a lot of unique skill sets. And I would argue in some cases, some of the athletes at the FCS level can be better than some of these smaller FBS programs because you can go and snag a guy that was getting recruited by Clemson, maybe had some academic issues, and then bring him to your program. There's a lot of teams that do that around the country that it doesn't really get talked about until those guys start performing really, really well. The biggest thing that leads to success is is hitting the home runs with transfers and uh, JUCO players. That's That's the big key because... You can go and recruit really well with a group of freshmen, but if you're able to steal some of these guys that come from big programs like Duke or Pitt or um, Ball State, if they were good players at their teams at the FBS level and they're looking to transfer somewhere just to finish up their academics or want a a completely different uh, atmosphere around them, 
if you can recruit those guys to come to you instead of another FBS program, that really helps you out tremendously. So teams like uh, JMU, I think, is one of the best teams at doing that. Ben DiNucci, who was just drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, who was their quarterback last year, came from Pitt. They had guys on their defense that were from Rutgers, Ohio State. They are very, very good at recruiting those transfers. The only team that does not fit that criteria of transfers is North Dakota State. and That's the only outlier, I would say, in this situation because they're so good at recruiting that they compete better than the Sunbelt um, MAC teams at the FBS level. They can go and get a three-star Trey Lance and turn him into a complete star. So it's, it's really solely based on the ability to attract the talent to come down to the FCS level and say to them, hey, you know, you want to go to the FBS and sit for three years, or you can come and play now and you can completely light things up. Yeah, because I think a lot of selling point with, with kids, I coach high school football, and a lot of selling point with kids is, you know, they, they all want those FBS offers because, you know, the national TV contracts and things like that, and they're worried that, you know, some of them are, you know, worried that NFL scouts won't find them if they go to some uh, obscure FCS school or even some obscure Division two school, and, and I, I tell them, you know, NFL scouts will find you no matter where you are. Um, they get paid They get paid handsomely to find you even if you're at mm. NAIA Lindsey Wilson uh, or Kentucky Westland or you know or Georgia you know you could be anywhere um, and they, they will find you so um, that was kind of one of the things that I that I was um, surprised about and, and I'm one of the things I'm surprised about you mentioned uh, North Dakota State and you know I, I know their success now their their five straight national championships uh, kind of helped them recruit now but like what, what else what else could you would you say attracts them to Fargo and uh, things like that? Like how how are they so successful at, at recruiting at this point? I know beyond winning. I think it's the, the best way to describe it is a snowball effect. They started out at the beginning of the decade with established early success. They've always been a pretty good football program, but at the beginning of the decade was when their dynasty really started. So once you start to really succeed with maybe not as talented guys as you have now winning those national championships early on made things so much easier in a recruiting pitch. They, they could say, Oh, we've won two straight. We've won three straight. We've won such and such straight. We haven't lost a game in multiple seasons. This is why you should come to play for our program. They're continually upgrading what they have around them. They have always stayed within the, the coaching tree to a relative extent so Mike Entz was around before their, their last head coach left to go to the FBS level. So now you have Entz who's already been there, a guy that is familiar with the area, familiar with the recruiting situation, familiar with a relative scheme and the roster. You're not having to go somewhere else and bring someone new in. It's always been following that path of this coaching lineage that even if you send someone up to the FBS level, which they've done multiple times during this decade, you can still have someone who knows what it means to be a bison. I think that that is the biggest reason why kids come and choose to play there, that even if someone decides to leave, if a coach decides to leave, you know that you're still going to have a familiar face running the program come that time if someone does choose to go. And it's very interesting. Let's go. It's a very good uh, case study in how well success helps you recruit and things like that because Fargo, North Dakota, probably doesn't offer much else. So. 
No. Um, exactly. <laughs> They've got very passionate fans. I think that's the other thing, too. Yeah, that that's true. When game day came, it was like the entire city of Fargo was out oh, yeah. uh, downtown on the set. So um, I noticed you're wearing a Notre Dame shirt. So what's uh, what, what's happening with Notre Dame? Are they, are they going to join the <laughs> ACC for a year? Are they finally going to bite the bullet, join a conference? What do you think? Uh, so the reason why I'm wearing the Notre Dame shirt, my, my dad went there. So, uh, I've always been a Notre Dame fan, despite playing at the university of Rhode Island. The, the thing with Notre Dame that I've kind of been paying attention to, they're in a sticky situation. I haven't read a ton. And I think that they're still trying to figure it out. They're probably not going to actually join the ACC, but I, I think the resolve this season, the ACC, because they have that affiliation but not membership for football they're going to help them out and schedule a couple games that for teams that maybe lost some of those other conference uh, out of conference games to to round out their schedule because eventually if all these conferences shut out Notre Dame's not going to have anyone to play exactly that that was kind of the biggest meme that was going around I think the the funniest (laughs) meme was that Will Smith on the final episode of Fresh Prince where he was in an empty house looking around, like looking around in disbelief. <laughs> and it was uh, Notre Dame's football season uh, all of a sudden. And, and that was, uh, that was kind of funny. So uh, talk about your time at Rhode Island. Uh, you know, how was that? How was that experience? So I was recruited uh, in 2016 to come be a preferred walk-on long snapper. My freshman season, I did not start until halfway through after the starter injured his knee. And then I stepped in. That first five games of my career were, in hindsight, not very clean. Uh, They were very stressful. I was still figuring some things out. I was not physically really that prepared to step onto the field. But since those five games my freshman year, I never looked back. Even though there was competition brought in multiple times, guys at other positions were asked to try it out here and there. I kept working. I kept improving, getting bigger, all of that. Eventually, I was able to put myself get myself on scholarship. I was on a partial scholarship for my final two years at the university of Rhode Island because I was the the, the team's starting long snapper. And then I was able to parlay that success to now where I'm signed with an agent. I'm still pursuing opportunities to keep playing. um, Now that my career is done because of all the stuff that happened with COVID anybody that was uh, a tryout or rookie mini camp type guy that was maybe a little bit outside the radar, but scouts knew of, of certain guys. I felt like I, I fit under that criteria from what I understood from talking with my agent. Those guys kind of got the, the, the shortest end of the stick um, because they teams couldn't have guys coming for tryouts or rookie mini camps. I, I have one of my teammates is also signed with the same agent and he's in the same exact situation, not really able to get those, those invites because teams aren't allowed to really have anybody in, uh, in their facility. So it's just about waiting another year and, and staying patient during all this. So what was your favorite, uh, FPS opponent, uh, in the stadium you played in? Oh, that one's easy, easily Virginia tech. We, we played a bunch of these Mac teams and they were not always very filled. The stadiums were smaller than GMUs. I think central Michigan's was nothing that really wowed me. Ohio was okay, but, walking out onto the field running out onto the field against Virginia Tech while they played enter Sandman even though it was definitely not for us um <laughs> you felt like it yeah it's just like looking up like holy crap this is the first time I've, I've done something like this before the, the stadium is huge uh, the atmosphere is incredible the fans are a little rowdy but uh, it was crazy just to be inside that stadium and, and I have a 
a direct connection to Virginia Tech because my brother attends there. He's a year older than me. He just graduated from there. So I, I got to go play in front of my brother. My family came down to the game. That was easily one of the best experiences I had because of that connection, because of being able to be down there yet again and say I was on that field playing in a game on that in that exact stadium. Did y'all get the ball first and go three and out and you had to snap? Oh, man, I don't remember if we started with the ball or not. Was, I don't, was, your, was your first uh, snap the probably the shakiest snap you've ever No, ever no. I, I, by the time I was – after my sophomore year, I didn't really get nervous anymore. Because I, I, when you're a long snapper, you're, you're do, you do the same thing. You, you kind of get used right. to the, 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 the threat level and, and maybe getting nervous in, in tight situations. You got guys coming up and, and, and saying uh, as messed up things that they can come up with uh, as possible in front of you just to get in your head. But you, you get used to all that snap hundreds of balls in games so it's just like okay it's a it's another snap i i was more excited than i was nervous yeah now now knowing me i, I probably would have been okay there's seventy thousand people <laughs> screaming in my face i'm probably gonna snap this one over his head so well you gotta, you gotta take to into you. account i'm the i'm the bathroom break of the of the game so as soon as i come on the field everyone uh you know gets up to go to the bathroom at home or, or gets up to get more food in the stadium that's true so maybe the pressure's off a little bit. Yeah. So, um, have you been to a rookie mini camp uh, before COVID? No, no, because this was my first year of essentially being a free agent. So I, I have not tested the waters yet. Thankfully, being a long snapper and a specialist, there's a lot longer of a window to actually get that opportunity to keep playing. A lot of guys, besides those that get drafted or signed immediately um, out of their their – draft classes and undrafted free agent a lot of guys don't get signed until like three or four years down the line there's a guy that I trained with back when I was a, a freshman in college and a senior in high school who snapped at uh, Delaware and he just signed with the Dallas Cowboys he's had opportunities over the past couple of years but he finally got a, a contract with the Dallas Cowboys so I, I know that it is a process it's not going to be something that happens overnight with maybe a, a running back or a receiver Right, right. Long snappers can be – they can either have the longest careers in the NFL or, yep. or, the, or the extreme shortest, you know. Exactly. You, you know, one bad game and, and you're out the door. I know uh, I know there was one guy, and I forgot his name now because it's been so long, but, uh, you know, if you know the long snapper's name uh, in the NFL, it's usually not a good thing. So uh, he, was, he, was the, he was a long snapper, and he did uh, – he snapped on field goal, and, and uh, he famously – or infamously – uh, rolled it back to the to the holder in a playoff game uh, to lose to the 49ers. So he got some scrutiny. What uh what team? Giants. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he was um he was uh, in the NFL for a long time, and he oh man, I know the exact play that you're talking about. But a- yeah. after that, that's all he's known for. Even though he had yeah, a long exactly. career, and they signed him for that that game or that that playoff run, and he made that mistake that. I forget his name too. He's got a it's 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 a it's a memorable name because of that that incident mm-hmm. happened at Candlestick Park or yeah. whatever they're calling it nowadays. But um, so yeah, that's a that's a nerve wracking thing. You know, <laughs> I I associate like that situation with being like every snap being kind of nerve wracking. But those guys are those guys are robots, man. And you know, you explained why. You did a good job explaining why. So. Um, Joe, uh, tell us about your show, and or if you, I think I saw that you were on uh, with Ryan Roberts too on the uh, Draft Prospect Show. 
Yeah, so I originally started out last March doing the the Believe in FCS Football podcast with with Sean Anderson. He was my roommate and now former teammate at the University of Rhode Island offensive lineman. Uh, started doing that show, and then I was gradually picking up various different types of work within the audio field. Started working with Ryan on a, a completely different network doing draft stuff. And then just coincidentally – he was having a conversation with Believe about joining the network, and w- literally within a couple hours, we were absolved by by Believe leaving the other network that was not paying us for uh, an mm. opportunity to work with Believe. So now it's it's me, uh, Ryan Roberts, and Alex Gilstrap. We talk to incoming uh, draft prospects, and we also rate and provide rankings based on the various uh, specific position groups. So it's a, it's a fun, different perspective on the NFL draft because we mm-hmm. talk very specifically about the prospects we're not really talking about fit or or teams it's just how these guys work their strengths their weaknesses and then you also get to hear an interview yeah i had ryan on uh, a few episodes ago he he was a great great guest Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of listeners uh gave me feedback on that and say that was their favorite show so far hopefully uh hopefully you'll take that over but um (laughs) you know i had i had a similar journey on believe i'm i'm brand new on believe um, I was, I have a podcast, uh, with a friend of mine, uh, or two friends of mine. We, it's called illegal motion. It's not really picked up on any network. We're on iTunes, but we're not really on a network. We're just kind of there. And we kind of, we're like, I think almost 230 episodes deep. Oh, wow. That. Um, and he got the opportunity. Um, it's Matt, Matt Perkins. So he got the opportunity, uh, with believe he kind of, I think he answered Adam on LinkedIn and, mm-hmm. um, he got to believe in Vanderbilt football podcast. Um, and he's, uh, he had me on for his first two episodes. And then, uh, from there I kind of, uh, they didn't have a Georgia one. So I graduated from UGA and, and, uh, asked him about it and went down that road. And here I am on the believe in Georgia dogs podcast. So, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it was like a kind of crazy journey cause it kind of all happened really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I was on his show and then, you know, they, they, they have you put a demo. And I said, well, my demo is first two episodes of Believe in Vanderbilt Football. <laughs> and you've heard me already. <laughs> so uh, they, 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 liked what, they liked what I had to, I had to say, I guess. And so yeah. here I am. And, so, and Matt's working with uh, Zach Stacy too, right? Yes. That's That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, they, do a, they do a tremendous job. Zach, uh, Zach came on and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's really kind of added that, you know, former player element, and, and mm-hmm. he's really done a really done a great job of kind of mixing with Matt because they they had never met before. You know, Matt's a Wisconsin yeah. guy, so he uh, and um, you know he's a season ticket holder at Vanderbilt, mostly due to his wife. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, he uh, I'm, I'm sure he would have been fired up to be here uh, with us this morning. So, but yeah, so uh, that's my journey. That's your journey. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Joe. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter before we let you go? Super simple, folks. At Joe DeLeon. That's spelled D-E-L-E-O-N-E. Give me a follow if you want to hear me uh, yell into the void about the Giants, football, NFL draft, college football, FCS, any of that good stuff. Good deal. Well, Joe DeLeon, um, believe in FCS football. Also, believe in NFL draft prospects uh, podcasts here on the Believe Network. Joe, I appreciate you jo- joining me this morning. Um, have a great day. We'll we'll talk soon as, as more yep. things unfold. So I uh, look forward to it, and and uh, we'll see you along the way. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. This has been another edition of 
the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast, specifically a Hunker Down Monday. I want to thank our guest, Joe DeLeon, of the Believe in FCS podcast and also the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. Uh, I want to appreciate Joe for coming on and uh, spending his time with us here at the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. If you like the show, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and go ahead and give us a rating on iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe. Go ahead and follow us on Spotify if you want, and and also subscribe to us on Stitcher. If you also want to give us some feedback, social media is a great place to do so. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Believe in Dogs. That's B-L-E-A-V-I-N-D-A-W-G-S, the only true way to spell dogs. Um, Give us a a follow there as well. So if you want to advertise, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. They'll get you set up. It's a great deal. So with that being said, I hope you have a great rest of your day. And as always, go dogs. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.